So while I love the Venn diagram I talked about, there's definitely outliers. There are definitely those breweries that focus so heavy on just making amazing beer that they will always have a market, you know, but at the end of the day, I think the recipe for better success and more likely success and, you know, the the long-term success that we're going for is combining all three aspects. This is Tim Faith of Mark Anthony Brewing, and you're listening to the Beer Mighty Things Podcast. Welcome into the Beer Mighty Things Podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. It's what's in your ears as you drink beers. And today we're joined again by Mr. Andrew Copeland of Craft Beer Professionals, as well as Secret Hopper. How are you, my friend? It's always great to see you, Kyle. It's hard to believe it was September when we last saw each other face-to-face in Denver. Look at you doing research. Uh, it was September in CBC, and then we saw each other multiple times uh, via the internet here. And um, Always. Appreciate all you do. Dude, you, you are very busy. Uh, you are great at responding to emails. You are very structured. Um, you definitely like make me like, shit, man, he's way better at answering emails than I am, you know? So I would say that's a blessing and a curse, the skill of responding to emails very quickly. It can easily get obsessive, and that's not always a good thing. Yeah. So today I, you know, I had a couple projects to do and I just closed my email and it's like, you understand how much more you can get done when you just close your email for like even 30 minutes, you know, it's so easy to get distracted. I also think that leads us into a little bit of our conversation here about Atomic Habits. It is a fantastic book. I think we both read. It is a, it is a fantastic book. I actually listened to the audio book a few years ago and then went and bought it because it was impactful and it was something that uh, I can go back and refer to. And I know a lot of people throw stuff on their bookshelves and don't go back to them. And uh, this is something that I actually do go back to. And, um, but yeah, Atomic Habits by James Clear. So everybody out there, if you haven't read it, you know, listen to, you know, a couple of the takeaways we'll talk about today. And then, you know, it's definitely worth digging into um, if you really want to change some things in your life and, you know, not be bogged down by the thread of it or the journey of it or the, you know, the big audacious goal out there, uh, this kind of breaks it down easily. And I'll always kind of talk about, you know, breaking these things down. Even my daughters, they'll say like, that that's crazy. I'm like, well, how do we eat an elephant kids? You know, one bite at a time, baby. So yeah. So you just read it or you've well, read it, I read ago, it about three months ago. I knew I had to read it when two people I really respect, you didn't recommend it to me, so I can't include you in this list, unfortunately, but <laughs> you know, our mutual friend, Carrie Shumway of Craft Brewery Financial Training and my friend, Jamar Valentine of Bavana, they both said, Andrew, you got to read this book. So when the second yes. one said it, I went and bought it right away and I, I flew through it extremely quickly. You didn't care when Carrie said it, it didn't matter. Eh, it took that second. <laughs> I actually talked to Carrie this morning. It's funny you mentioned that. Cool. Um, what'd you like about it? What'd you learn? What was well, something for me, that's new? You know, as you mentioned, I respond to emails really, really quickly. Uh-huh. And sometimes I have to just step away, get away from the computer, put my task down and focus on the more important things in the life. In the past couple of years, pandemic at all, and I've got an almost three-year-old, it's really nice to disconnect. But often I find myself checking my phone, checking my email, always feeling like I need to accomplish a task. So Atomic Habits, I think I first got turned on to James Clear when Carrie signed me up for his email newsletter. I think it's every yeah, the three, two, one. Yeah, three, two, one. You get it every Love Thursday. It. It's like three quotes, just super easy, digestible, and it's quick. You can read it in just one minute. Then you have this great idea of something you can do or some philosophy that you want to impart on your life. 
So for me, reading that Atomic Habits was a lot like the message it gave. It just gave me little applicable things I could apply to my life. And through the pandemic, I used to go to the gym every day, Kyle. I know you're really active in working out. I stopped going to the YMCA and it killed me. I did other kinds of working out, but as I was reading Atomic Habits, it got me in the routine of doing two things. One, waking up at almost 6 a.m. every morning. I would slowly roll my clock back a little bit more. You know, I went to <laughs> 7, to 6.45, to 6.30, to 6.15, and I finally got it to about 6 a.m. So that was part one, and I did it really, really slowly by taking those baby yep. steps. And part two was when I got up in the morning, I had to read a book while on an elliptical and get that workout in. It got me back in the routine. So not only is it great wisdom, but by actually using it almost like a workbook, you actually feel yep. good about yourself when you read it. It's funny. So I've seen people like read on the elliptical or the treadmill. Like you can do that. I've never tried. I can it. do that. I've always <laughs> been able to do that. I feel like you're, aren't your eyes bouncing on the screen or no? You know, I could also read as a passenger in a car. So okay. I, I guess you can't do that either. No, I don't like it. I get like, I don't know. Uh, like, skill or curse. Once again, it's something that I found myself able to do over the years. Yeah. Now my, my wife's really good at that. And one of my daughters is good at that. Uh, I don't do that. Um, I'm also usually driving. So if I'm driving and reading a book, that's, you know, danger, danger, danger. Um, so your point there, I just rolling back the clock a little bit, right? So the, the basis of the book is really, hey, if you're willing to do like 1% extra every day, by the end of the year, you'll be 37.7% better. So whether that's, you know, just eating this instead of that, like switching to mustard instead of mayo, or, you know, doing this, you know, maybe a two minute run, eventually you'll be 38% more than that. Um, it's just the little things, right? A lot of people focus on that big, Hey, I got to wake up at 6am, but I'm used to waking up at seven. Like, how am I going to cut an hour off? And instead of thinking about that hour, think about that journey of maybe it's three minutes every day, you know, cut three minutes off today, cut three minutes off. And then the other part of it is make it easy, right? So if you're going to go to the gym, have your clothes laid out, right? So prepping all of these things, I guess it really always just comes back to planning. It does. And I've always been a planner. So that's why I like the philosophy here. And I've also been a really big proponent of checklists. And I feel like the philosophy James Clear talks about and checklists go hand in hand. Because when you break something down to those little baby steps, instead of looking at massive elephant, you look at its toe, you look at its ankle and you work your way up and you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a delicious dinner tonight. But (laughs) it takes time to get through it. But you got to start small. Yeah. Well, and that's even, I think that book may have been the book that showed me how to, you know, break a to-do list into threes, make up, you know, you got a big to-do list of 10, well, break it into three threes or, you know, two threes and a four, right? Break it down and then cross it off for instant gratification and throw it in a freaking garbage. You know, that's such a good feeling. It's a reward. Uh, so th- this book kind of gets into all that stuff. Uh, what I did like about it was they have the, the failure pre-mortem where he says like, Pretend it's six months from now and you had this goal. Pretend it's six months from now and you actually failed at that goal. Write down why you failed, what happened, what challenges you encountered, how you felt before it even happened. And now you can like almost change your brain and understanding what the worst is to come. You know, what's what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? And you can be like, oh, well, that's nothing. Like those are all these mental trash things that we put in our head that are easily overcome if you just kind of put in a little bit of work. What do you think about that? 
No, I, I think it's true. I think looking at the lines of the concept of failure, you, you're not going to pass everything with flying colors every time. You, you got to break it down to you know, two, three, four steps like you just talked about. That way it's more digestible. If you don't succeed with it, have those notes that you can review. So next time you try to accomplish that or something similar, you have that personal you know, backstory you can look to and say, what can I do differently now? Or how can I learn from that past experience to achieve different results moving forward? Tim Ferriss also did uh, something that I realized I do, but I don't go back and like look at it. But he always, I've always kept every workout I've ever done, I've written down. Like I have notebooks. You know, Tim Ferriss would say that he's got, he would look back at a picture from like May of 2007 and like, hey, I like the way that I looked. And then he could go back and look at what workout he was doing. It's like, all right, that's a little much. But like I've always tracked my workouts. I still write them down every day. Um, and then I have my journal that I keep. So I, every day I see, you know, did I meditate today? Yes. Uh, what, you know, I did the Spartan workout week four, day three today. Like you can see it. Um, it's a good it's way to just track. seeing those notes of what you've accomplished, make you feel better about yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. You feel, you feel at the end of the day, when you pull out the journal at the end of the night, you're like, man, I did some shit today, even though you might feel like you didn't. Right. And I bet when you buy that second notebook, it's just like, wow, I've gone through all these pages, you know, hitting all these boxes that I want to do. Yeah. And it, it, again, it's all, but when you buy that notebook, it's a 200 empty pages. You're like, I'm never going to fill this. But right. One, one bite a day. Eat that elephant. Cool. Um, he talks a lot about the environment that you are in. Right. So what goals you have, you want to make them obvious, attractive, and easy and satisfying. Um, the, the environment that we have is so important. Like, hey, I want to learn how to play the guitar. Well, why don't you put your guitar in the room you spend the most time in, right? You're sitting in your office there with your books. It's like, hey, I want to read a book. Let's put that book on my desk so I grab it and read 10 pages. It's right next to my chair, right next to my elliptical. They all go hand in hand. I'm making it easy. Do you put your chair on the elliptical? Well, it's one of these just <laughs> leather chair, but I have one of those little under the desk ellipticals that works for, for me. Real? So nice. yeah, it's right on the floor. It's great. It I have a, one of the folks in my office has one of those. I've never, I've never used that. Does it work? Like it doesn't make you sweat, but you feel like you're doing something. So it's a step heart rate up. Uh, just a little bit, not okay. like your typical elliptical at the gym, but you know, I would definitely recommend it if you're taking baby steps to get that physical activity going. Yeah. They always say like Steve Jobs always, when he would have an interview or a, a conversation with somebody, they would go for a walk. So I wonder, cause it kind of jogs the brain, right? It makes the brain move because your feet are moving. And I wonder if, does that kind of help you think more or does it make your brain crazy? <laughs> so I try to use the time when I'm on the elliptical to actually read a book. So I'm trying yeah. not to think, but my problem is as I'm reading these books, like Atomic Habits, you know, it's always giving you these great ideas you want to impart to someone else and just remember for yourself. And I, I yeah. used to be a really big underliner and, a, you know, a page turner, I dog ear every single page. But I, I cannot underline things while on an elliptical, Kyle. I can read on the elliptical, but when I bring out the pen and paper and try to take notes, not a successful process there. Poke yourself in the eye. And, and I did start <laughs> trying to do the elliptical thing while I was on Zoom calls and whatnot, but people gave me funny looks on that one, and I kind of stopped doing it. I was just kind of like bouncing up and down. Yeah. As you and I were chatting. And it, it's a little, a little distracting, distracting, I'm sure. It was yeah. a little distracting. Perfect. Awesome. All right. So in terms of goals also, right, make it obvious, right? If you want to go to the gym daily, set an alarm to remind yourself to go. Uh, you want to kind of stack habits. So if I'm going to do, but you're kind of stacking habits there, right? I'm going to read and kind of work out at the same time, like do them together, attach a habit to another one, but also similar to like, Hey, I want to floss more. Well, 
when you're brushing, then floss, right? You do them together. Don't brush in the morning, two hours later, come back and floss. So stack your habits, make it obvious, make it easy. Um, and, you know, I talk a lot about ways the taproom staff can maximize the experience. And I think sometimes when you look at every little thing that you do that goes into making a guest experience really memorable, it can be really overwhelming. It's like, Andrew, you're telling me I have to introduce myself. I have to wave someone when they walk in. I have to go through all their recommendations, encourage them to have a flight, that second beer. It's like, whoa, I can't focus on all those little things at once. So I think a lot of the strategies from Atomic Habits can really be, you know, carried over right to the tap room. And the one yeah. you know, example I always like to give is encouraging beer to go because it's such an easy thing to get in a routine. You know, make it obvious, make it obvious for, you know, both the guest and the staff member. For the guest, have it on the menu first off. Make it so it's, it's something they're constantly seeing. Have it behind the bar in a fridge. Make people know that it's aware. And make sure, you know, when the staff member comes to close their tab, they're also seeing it, you know? You want to make it attractive, you want to make it easy, and you want to make it satisfying. And I think it ties really into also the motivation of things. And you know, like, why is so-and-so going to encourage more beer to go behind the bar? Well, as a matter of fact, this month, we're giving Kyle's favorite Chick-fil-A gift card to whoever sells the most. So <laughs> yeah. it's going to make it satisfying in that way. It's just little things like that, I feel are fun strategies you can take from a book like this and to apply to your daily work life. Yeah. And bringing that back to the stacking, right? It's like, hey, I ordered uh, XYZ red ale or IPA. All right. Well, when you drop it off or you hand over that flight, hey, listen, did you know that's in the fridge? If you really like it, you could take it with you. All right. So stack it instead of waving and doing these things, coming back and doing it. Because honestly, you're probably going to be busy. You're going to forget to come back. So if you can kind of, again, get it out of the way early, let them know, stack it together. Make it and it's going to become yourself. second nature. You know, it's going to become part of your routine. It's one habit at a time. Um, in terms of making it attractive, right? I always think like, hey, I can't, I don't allow myself to have a beer until I work out. And it's like, all right, well, now it's my reward. It tastes better. So how do you think a staff can say, all right, um, I don't get to, maybe I don't get a shift beer until I do something, right? Or maybe, you know, obviously I don't get that Chick-fil-A gift card until I've hit this, you know, 10 asks or something like that. What other well, ideas? I really what, like what you said to start that, as in the staff member saying, well, I'm not going to get my shift beer mm-hmm. until I get that. Because often it's coming from the top down, like a taproom manager yep. or owner saying, you know, you're not going to get this reward until you accomplish this task. But if you can get the staff to buy in and say, look, you know, I want to do this. I need to do this. I'm probably going to see a higher tip if I do this, yeah. but I need to make myself want to do this. I really like it from that angle. Yeah. I make it easy. Right. Um, when we're talking right about the register, just reach back here, yeah. and grab that crowd or hand it to the guest. Yeah. And, and have, you know, make it easy to pay, honestly. So I recently went to Treehouse, and it was like the most difficult experience to order a beer in my life. It's like, dude, this is, you know, I was, I was like, I had my beer, my beer was getting warm and my buddy was still trying to pay because you have to do it all on your phone and his credit card wasn't in his phone and all this stuff. Make it easy, you know, make that beer list easy to access. So the nice thing, I just, here's another example. I was just at Aslan uh, in Alexandria last week and they had a, they had a menu for all the beer that you could eat or drink there and all the food that you could eat there. And in addition to that, they had a whole to go um, a whole to go menu so that you're not staring there looking at the cooler or someone standing or you're not holding somebody up. Right. And the nice thing that I really liked too, was that the to go menu listed all the beer and all the beer had, 
it had a list of the hops in each beer. Um, so I saw one. I love Sabro hops. I was like, ah, I want to get Sabro. Like I knew it was there. I didn't have to ask. Make it easy. Right. I knew what I wanted because I was able to see what hops were in these certain, you know, beers. And the more information you have, the easier you can make these decisions. And then you're also lessening how much you have to ask the staff, right? You're almost automating that. Giving time back. All right. No, I love it. Cool. Uh, something else you, we always talk about um, when we're talking about habits, and this could be something again for the staff and we want to hit our goals, but you know, you take a calendar and when you complete that task or you hit your goal, that quota for the day, you put an X on it, right? An X over that square on the calendar. And after three days, it starts to become a chain, right? And after 20 days, it starts to become a chain. And this could even be something that you do for like safety, right? It's like 300 days since the last accident kind of deal, right? But like when you start to build that chain of habits in a row, you don't want to break that chain, right? I think that's like a mental trigger where people are like, I don't want to let people down. I don't want to break this chain. If I break the chain, I'm going to be like, crap, all my, all my work was lost and I got to restart. So those are something easy to revert. You know, once you get in the positive, the positive momentum going, you want to achieve these goals. But once you kind of have that day off, you can, it's easier to justify having day two off and day three off than you lose to have it. And, but I, like you said, checking it off makes you want to continue to move forward because those little visualizations is positive reinforcement and who doesn't like positive reinforcement. Yeah. Or that beer at the end of a workout or shift. The beer at the end of the workout. Yeah. So that was something that, you know, I know friends who are like, I never let myself go three days without of a workout. So like even me on my, on my off days, I'm still doing like a 10 or 20 minute stretch or yoga or Pilates or something that like, that's my rest day is I'm still stretching my body or I'm going to take a nice bath or a hot bath, but like, you're still doing something. It just doesn't have to be all out sweaty and crazy. Um, so still, again, just, you know, simplifying things uh, in the tasting room to make those things uh, more doable. Have you read The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg? I have not. I believe it was referenced quite a few times in Atomic Habits. So apparently now I need my to-do list or I need someone other than Carrie to recommend it to me so I can make it. <laughs> you, got, you got me, man. Uh, that is a fantastic book as well. It's just funny because I think there's a, there's a quote out there. It says something like, um, excellence is not, you're not born with excellence. Uh, excellence is essentially, you know, just doing the same thing over and over. It's, it's creating a habit. Um, and that's almost like that overnight success thing, right? It's like, you know, every overnight success took 15 years of, you know, busting your ass when no one was looking, you know? Well, it's a lot like these podcasts that you do. How many episodes have you done at this point in time, Kyle? This will be 137. Wow. When you first had the idea that you were going to record a podcast for the beer industry, had you ever done a podcast before? Uh, no, I, we tinkered around with some friends, you know, and some stuff was like, yeah, we can't put that out. <laughs> but but, it's but like like I, you, you begin with this idea, you know yeah. what you want to do, but you have to train yourself to improve. And it's a constant feedback loop of seeing what you did, right. How you can improve next time. Then you fine tune the process down just by repetition. Yeah. I have a whole system. I have a sheet here that I'm looking at. It goes in order, right? I have my rapid fires at the end. I have the way I open the, the episode up. I have a way in which we record. I have a way in which I download, a way in which I upload, and a way in which I then distribute and market. And all of those, it sounds like a lot, but I have it down to a system where all of that takes like an hour total, like per week. And people are like, you know, how do you do this and this? I'm like, I don't do those things. Like, I don't need to do, right? I want to, if, 
if it becomes cumbersome, it's no longer easy, it's no longer satisfying or fun. And I'm sure it initially began as a checklist. Am I right? Or you, you, or you had it in your head the whole time? What do you mean by checklist? Like, you know, every step that goes into making the podcast, mm. you know, find the guest, get the outline, get the questions down, upload it to so-and-so. I'm sure there's a lot more steps than that, but I'm sure in the early days, at least when I do a lot of things, I like to write it down first. Just yeah. like, you know, people in the tap room, you want to have the whole process from opening yeah. down, process of closing down. But after you do it X number of times, it becomes second nature. And while that checklist was great on day one to 10, at that point in time, you don't really need it anymore because you got it like the back of your hand. Yes and no. So... When you think about, you know, a pilot, right? They've flown a million times and they have this specific checklist. You don't want them skipping that checklist. Have you read the checklist manifesto? No, but I'm familiar with it. That's your recommendation for the day. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So you definitely don't want your pilot skipping steps. And this is where I think, you know, when we start to see injuries in the tap room, right? Or in the back of the brewery, you know, the brewer's been doing it so long, they start to skip over things. They start, they forget their glasses, they forget their gloves, they get burned, they get caustic in their eyes because they start, it becomes minutiae, right? And it becomes just routine and rote and you skip steps and that's where problems happen. That's where OSHA comes in and that's where you start getting slapped with fines, you know? So try to stick to your checklist. (laughs) Checklist, I agree. Always consult it every now and then. I'll take you on that. All right. So, so let's take that conversation about kind of routine um, and checklists and let's dive into a recent satisfaction report that you did. Yeah. So, you know, wearing my crappy professionals hat, you know, a lot of the conversations that I'm really passionate about and more interested in are the more humanizing topics in the craft beer industry. You know, I've always been focused on the business side of things, but I love diving into mental health. I love diving into topics, you know, simply regarding happiness, you know, what makes somebody happy. And, you know, for this study we did, we did it in partnership with Craft Beer Advisory Services. They did a really great 2022, 2021. Uh, it was a consumer motivations report that dives into what motivates people to go into tap rooms. So that's another fascinating study to dive into. But we partnered with Michael Varda and Craft Beer Advisory Studies to essentially do an industry-wide employee satisfaction study. So, you know, think about any job you've had before. Do they send you, you know, some sort of anonymous questionnaire to kind of see how your experience is? That's what we want to do, but based on the industry as a whole. And we get a lot of demographic data and we talk about tenure, we talk about compensation, we talk about happiness, we talk about training, and we do some, you know, comparisons of the trends, but it's the happiness component that really stands out to me. And are you ready for some data that kind of blows your mind and just makes you think a little bit? So Kyle, one of the questions was not a question. One of the statements we had was I am happy to work at my brewery. And we asked all the respondents to the survey to, you know, start from, do you strongly disagree or do you strongly agree with that statement? And 70% of owners strongly agree with the statement. I'm happy to work at my brewery. That's interesting. They're the ones who own the place. They should strongly agree to that one. If they're not strongly agreeing, they should be trying to figure out what I can do to make my personal experience happier so I can make the experience better for others. Because, you know, it's a trickle down effect. You got to create that positive company. If they're not happy, that vibe goes all the way through. 100%. And once again, this is strongly agree. So I'm sure there are some that also agree, but we're talking strongly agree on this one. Yeah. Then we look at the next role, front of house, people working in tap rooms, event, hospitality, things like that. People in those roles, 65% of them strongly agree with the statement, I'm happy to work in my brewery. Okay. The next 
these are the people interacting with the customers. So they're getting more of the, I think, smiles and the positive interactions. The next people we asked were the people in the business roles, the accountants, the legal, the human resources. 60% of people in that role strongly agree with the statement. So the data, you know, it's nothing terribly mind-blowing so far. This is the one that really makes you think of what we can do better. And going back to the statement, I'm happy to work in my brewery, 26% in brewing operations strongly agree with that. Literally, only one out of four in back of house strongly agree that they're happy to work at their brewery. You know, and, and that statement's really frustrating. I think we hear a lot of the disconnect between front of house and back yeah. of house because we're in an industry that combines so much. We have production and hospitality all jammed into one 2,000 square foot, you know, tap room facility. So you got everybody working closely together yeah. who doesn't normally work closely together. And, you know, people in back of house, they're working long hours. They have heavy responsibilities. It can be a thankless job sometimes. And For sure. you know, to see that only 26% of those people working in back of house strongly agree with the happy statement. It makes you wonder what can be done to better their experience. Yeah. How many of those? So that was strongly agree. How many of the back of house agreed? Oh, you're going to have to ask me to dive into the data really quick on that one. <laughs> it's going to so, take a moment if you want it. But That's I okay. Can, so let me ask you another question while you're digging. Um, you did, these were, you know, this is almost like a Scantron sheet when you're doing the multiple choice here. Did you leave it or, you know, this, did the study leave it open to say like, I am happy because I am not happy because. So we do have an opening form. question towards the end. Okay. You know, one of the questions that we have is my brewery does an incredible job with, okay. and you know, allow people to pop those, you know, words in that the brewery yeah. does an incredible job with. We made it into a word, word cloud, you know, where it shows the words that are more frequent, a little bit bigger. And the biggest words that stood out to me, it's community employees and customer. Those three words, employees, community, and customer, they appear larger than beer. So it's really satisfying to know that people in our industry really enjoy that community aspect. They enjoy their coworkers and they enjoy the customers because, you know, that's how you create the experience. And it's interesting to see that those are larger than beer, you know, because beer obviously is the anchor of our industry, but it takes all of the above to create those successful experiences, not just for the guest, but also for those working in our industry. Yeah. I think the beer obviously brings, you know, the, it's like kind of the gel to bring it all together. Um, that's interesting. So, and was this all Virginia breweries who did this? No, uh, it was nationwide. We had a data okay. set of close to 300 who conducted this. This wow. is going to be the first of a yearly study. And unfortunately, I can't really dive deep into the data right now. I'll have to get back <laughs> to you on that one. It's a little hard to do while we're doing this. But yeah, it was a nationwide study. Okay. And all right. So we got, say, you know, one out of four back of house folks brewing the beer cleaning the kegs, shoveling the spent grain that are actually happy doing what they're doing. Cause it, you know, it's funny because a lot of times I see, you know, most brewers I think are pretty pumped to be creating new recipes. Uh, I guess there is a, mm, there's a book self renewal and it go. it's, this is from like the sixties or something. This gentleman is talking about, you know, when we do these routine things over and over, we need self renewal because we kind of get, it becomes mundane and the way to obtain self-renewal is to be creative. So I wonder if, you know, maybe these folks aren't getting the time to just sit down and have quiet and create and 
you know, just like we would as a kid, right? You're sitting down with crayons and a doodle pad, like versus, you know, Hey, follow this recipe, do this, do this. Like when is there that brainstorming? When's there that collaboration where you start to feel renewed, you know, or take a hike or something. Well, I think a lot of it comes from, you know, their managers and owners might not be asking what can be done to better their experience. I think it's so often, yo, you're lucky to work in a brewery and you should be happy just to be here, but that's not at all the case. You know, there's so many factors that come in. Yes, we love to work in the craft beer industry, but there's compensation, there's benefits, there's the culture around you. And, you know, the managers and owners need to be asking everyone, not just people in back of house roles, what can be done to better your experience at our company? And these shouldn't be one-time conversations. It shouldn't be like Kyle after you put your two weeks in and saying, Hey, I'm leaving your company. Oh, what can I do? You know, bet what can we have done better for you? It's no, Kyle, come to my office right now. What can we do right now to make your experience at our well it costs more to bring on, you know, to to rehire to hire somebody new, right? Onboarding is costly, time and money. So you're it's always going to cost less when you have that person still working there, right? Like don't lose your employees. So, I, but you know, obviously, you know, it's a tough job. Um, it's a dirty job. It's long hours. And I would definitely say they don't get paid nearly what they should. Now I know there's not a lot of money to just throw around on a brewery. So it's kind of like, and it takes a lot of people to run a brewery. So how do we, how do we find that happy medium? I think it's by simply having these conversations. Yeah, just asking. You, you, you got to start. I mean, it sounds so simple, just like encouraging more to go beer. You, you just got to ask. But you know, there needs to be these conversations. There needs to be transparency. You know, the second someone signs on to take a position at a brewery, they should have a full understanding of what's going to be expected of them and how they're going to be treated. There shouldn't be any surprises. And I think by living up to someone's expectations and treating them right, and it's so, so simple to say, but there's a lot more that goes into it, but you have a better chance of keeping them happy. I think what makes employees happy is days off paid more and recognition in front of others, right? Knowing that they're appreciated. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody needs to be appreciated. I think that's something that goes a long way. And, you know, opportunity through this study is something we see that's really important, too. People want the opportunity to grow with the company or opportunity, you know, expand their knowledge, whether it's going to conferences, whether it's going to certification programs. They want to have ways they can grow. They don't want to feel stagnant. And, you know, anytime someone feels stagnant, their happiness level is probably going to fluctuate because it's going to yeah. get in that, you know, monotonous situation where every day is the same. You don't really look forward to it. But if there are things on the horizon you can look forward to, whether it's the potential for a raise, potential to get to go to, you know, a conference this year, the potential for just a bonus, you know, yeah. little things like that are motivating and they're going to get you happier. I would definitely say that once everybody goes to CBC here shortly, it's all going to, everybody's going to get that, you know, renewed vigor, right? Come back and all right, now we're ready to brew more beer, right? So even just going away for that day or doing some silly team outing, going throwing axes or something like step doing some things like outside of the, outside of the workplace. Right. I mean, yeah. And going back to the study, Kyle, one of the questions we asked were, you know, what are factors currently contributing to your happiness? And, you know, it kind of looks like the word cloud a little bit. It's the coworkers. It's a welcoming environment. It's a collaborative environment. Then it's beer, you know, the base wages and salary. Those are the four factors currently contributing to happiness. 
But then when we ask factors contributing to future happiness, number one of the list is a pay raise. Number two is growth opportunities. Number three is benefits. So while you might have this culture that you love right now, and it definitely makes you happy, at the end of the day, things that are going to make you happier long run, you know, money talks sometimes, opportunity talks, and you want to see these benefits. So it needs to be, you know, a mix of all of the above to kind of hit that beautiful spot where people want to stick around and grow with you. Yeah, I would assume, you know, hey, you're a professional brewer, you want to be paid like a professional, right? You see people buying homes and cars and stuff, and you also want to grow your family, right? You got to pay the bills. Uh, And that, yeah, that benefits. I know a lot of breweries don't offer benefits, you know, benefits are expensive, but I always think that, you know, even just say like an HVAC contractor, right? A lot of those employees jump around, they go to the place with better pay and the benefits, that stability, right? Um, and, and the opportunity for growth. So, okay, that's interesting. And we're in such an interesting place in the world right now. Companies like Target are starting at $15 everywhere. In some markets, high as $24 an hour. You know, <laughs> we saw in our study that there are some places where brewers' average wage in certain states is below the livable wage in that state. You know, so why is a brewery person going to work in these conditions when they can go work at Target, you know, scan items at checkout and get paid 24 bucks an hour? You know, people say labor of love sometimes, but the yeah. labor of love, it actually has to pay the bills. But yeah, I mean, I guess to that point, hey, when you do enjoy what you're doing, money is always a byproduct. The money will come. You get paid based on your value typically. So I say it's supposed to always kind of be that way, but it doesn't always work out that way. Um, but yeah, it's, there's not a ton of money to go around the brewery. It's, it's tough, man. It's, that's a tough job. Much respect to everybody. When you, uh, you know, when those folks, I know everybody probably listening here understands what goes into making a beer, right? Because other people will come up to the bar, order a beer, put it in their glass and drink it. And they're like, oh, I got a beer. But they don't know that the brewer was there at, you know, 4.30 in the morning, heating up the water, weighing hops and grain and all that jazz. So it's a manufacturing facility when, uh, when all said and done. And a lot of respect to everybody putting in the work. Hell yeah. Kudos to you guys. All right. Um, what else was so that? That was kind of the conclusion of that satisfaction report, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, tell me real quick, it kind of lines up with that community employees and customer, but your Venn diagram that you speak of. Yeah. So I've always been really passionate about the overall experience Like kind of going back to my past life where I worked at a food service and you go to these stadiums and arenas and mm-hmm. freaking monster truck shows. And you don't go just for that. You go for, you go for the food, you go for the show, you go for yeah. the music, you go for the people. There's so many little things that come into the big picture. So I had this note in my phone for a really long time. It was Venn diagram of taproom experience. And I kept seeing it. I kept seeing it. I kept seeing it. So finally I made myself do it. And so, you know, you think back to like elementary school when you would see these Venn diagrams. I don't think we see them past elementary school, but who who doesn't love a good visualization? So you've got one big circle at the top, beer. Obviously really important because if you're not making good beer, the odds are you're not going to survive. It's the anchor of our industry. You got to make quality beer. You know, the other components of this Venn diagram, you've got the experience. You've got the experience component because people more than ever right now are looking for that wow factor experience. Yeah. When you go somewhere, yeah, you want that beer, but you also want to have a good time. And in that experience category, you've got events, you've got the decor at the brewery, you've got the art, you've got just the people around you that come into, you know, what comes together for a much larger picture. But yeah. the other component of the Venn diagram is the staff. You want an engaging experience because you can go to a brewery, you can have a good beer, you can have a nice atmosphere. But if you feel that the staff don't care at all about you, 
guess what? You're probably not going back. And you've already talked on it a lot today, Kyle. You like learning things. You want to learn about the beer. You want to learn about the brewmaster. You want to learn about the history. Why did they use this hop in this recipe? And if the staff is able to tell you why they use Sabro in that recipe, you're going to scratch your head and be like, oh, that was really neat. I'm going to remember that so-and-so at Brewery XYZ taught me this. And next time I go, I'm going to say, hey, do you have that beer? And you know what? I'll probably take some to go too. So all those three components come together. It's the beer, the experience and the staff. And when you bring them together and you have that high quality, you know, experience on all ends, you get that wow factor experience. And that's what we're all looking for. I love it. Andrew, there are some places where you kind of, you walk up to the bar and you get your own beer. So you're not necessarily having staff serve you, but there's obviously beer tenders there. Um, Do we lose some of that experience by just having folks behind the bar? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Kyle, because in the times of COVID, if whenever someone's listening to this right now, that's what we're still semi going through. You know, business models have changed. You know, we've brought out the rise of the QR codes, the rise of counter right. service, you know, less bar seating sometimes. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily we're losing that engagement component. We have to find different ways to engage, whether it's you just simply walking to the table where someone's sitting and saying, hey, you know what? I'm here if you need me. And if you had this beer to start, you might like this one later. It's finding those alternate touch points that you might not have thought about prior, but finding new ways to connect. Like you talked about an experience earlier about how everything was on the phone. If the phone's teaching you something, you feel like, oh, wow, this app's like really neat. It made it super easy to order. And I was able to see this about these beers. Then you feel connected. Granted, it's not that humanizing connection we often, you know, crave, but it is something that's building a deeper connection with the brewery. So, you know, I challenge breweries to look outside the box of ways to build these relationships. Even if you have those, you know, pour your own walls or whatever they yeah those are pretty i haven't been to one of those but those are pretty sweet but you know i want to have someone available to answer questions so instead of having five staff behind the bar have some one person roaming around saying hey andrew do you have a question about what we have today i'm here to help you just simply offering i love what you just said before was hey you're drinking this beer uh for your next one you should try this i think you'll enjoy it like i think that's pretty cool just simple recommendations and it sounds like common sense right i don't think i've ever been i don't think anyone's ever said that to me and i've been to you know Way too many breweries. Sometimes I don't like to make up my own mind. I just want to go there, have everything super easy, just like we talked about in Atomic Habits. I want someone to say, hey, Andrew, you had this first. You need to drink this next. When someone tells me that there's a need to do something, there is a sense of urgency, and they've convinced me. Whether it's a style I'm typically going to go for or not, I'm going to see their passion. I'm going to feel that connection, and they're going to make me want it. Hmm. Love it. So how do we improve our engagement with customers? We start back to where we started today with Atomic Habit, baby steps. You know, we just find little ways when you go to the tap room today. So, you know what? I'm going to introduce myself to every customer that walks in and I'm just going to see what happens. And at the end of the day, you know, when you made that forcible effort to introduce yourself, hey, you might see that your tips are 3% higher from that Friday afternoon just because you just said, hey, you know, I'm Kyle, I'm Andrew. You know, people like to know someone's names. It's just little aspects that can deeper that connection. Yeah, makes sense. But give yeah, yourself just, a goal. What's that? Give yourself a goal, whatever that may be. Yeah. Yeah, just make it easy. Um, you know, again, there's the Blink book by Malcolm Gladwell, right? We judge everything by like the moment we see it, the moment we hear it. So if you can engage with somebody as soon as you walk in, you're changing that mindset of theirs because really – most so there, say you know there's 10 breweries within a city or a town and you know there might be three on that block or maybe even one next door it's like 
if they went to three, four or five that day and you were the only one who greeted them at the door and made a recommendation, well, you know what? They're probably going to choose you over the next one next time they're looking for a brewery. Yeah, that, that's how you have these memories. And I know yeah. we both talked about Richmond, Virginia recently. And I went a few weeks ago with Michael of Craft Beer Advisory Services as we were working on our report. And we had a little fun experiment. He picked a brewery to go to without telling me. I picked one I wanted to go to without telling him. So we went okay. to each of these breweries. So, you know, unbeknownst to each other, it's just who knows what we were going to walk into. And it was <laughs> fun to see the different types of experiences. Yeah. You know, he picked a place that was really well known for their beer quality. And yeah. looking at the Venn diagram, their circle for beer was definitely much larger than the staff right. component, which was very, I'm not going to say disengaged, but there wasn't a high level of engagement. And it was, you could tell at this brewery, the beer was the prime driver of traffic. Then we went to another brewery. It felt like we were in a bowling alley, Kyle. It felt like half arcade, half bowling alley, really cool fire right. pits. And they were definitely focusing on that ex experience, experience component of it. They were right. talking about, you know, that atmosphere that made it really big. And our final stop of the night was a place that did a really good job of combining all three. Um, we went to Rich Brow, Rich Brow Brewing Company, and I had never been before. You know, the name Rich Brow, it almost felt like a legacy brand. It felt like they'd been there for like 100 years. Right, right. And when we arrived, you know, I expected this massive tap room. It was intimate. We were greeted right away. They asked if we'd ever been here before. The person behind the bar, his name was Alex. He gave us his name willingly without us asking. Okay. And he made it his goal to kind of maximize that experience. And, you know, the component there with the staff was great. Then we sat on this neat little nook that had neon lights overlooking the, the brew house. We had the experience component and the beer was beautiful. And I don't know how you kind of got me talking about this, but it got me really excited. <laughs> Because this is the experience, you know, when you go to all these breweries, you did talk about all the breweries that you would visit to, which one are you going to go back to? Am I going to go to the place with the great beer? Am I going to go to the place with the arcade? No, I'm going to go to the place where they're going to remember my name. And mm. because they have great beer and all of the above. And like, cheers. next time I'm in Richmond, that's where I'm going to go. And the beer was fantastic. And you never would have went there probably unless you were introduced to it. Well, we went actually out of convenience. It was the yeah. closest brewery to our Airbnb. So it wasn't a planned stop. It was one that just made sense. And we were so glad we went. It's like the so you got the luck factor in there too then. Needle and haystack. Well, that's kind of the beauty of having so many options, right? That's, that's kind of my thing is like, there are so many breweries for people to visit um, where that's when your beer has to be good and the experience has to be good and the people have to be good or else they're going to go down the street and find someone else who is going to do it better than you or you know do it when you're not doing it at all. Do you think that beers who, you know, that very first brewery you mentioned there, you know, their beer was killer, but their staff was unengaged. Um, do you find that maybe sometimes the staff can just be like, well, people are going to come here anyway because we have great beer and we don't really care. So while I love the Venn diagram I talked about, there's definitely outliers. There are definitely those breweries that focus so heavy on just making amazing beer that they will always have a market, you know, but at yeah. the end of the day, I think the recipe for, better success and more likely success and you know the, the long-term success that we're going for is combining all three aspects but yeah certainly there's still breweries that can survive with that yeah and i think they probably do a good job with their packaged beer to go like hey i'm gonna buy a case i'm not even gonna hang out at this place but i'm gonna take that beer to go and drink it at home. 100 